studying this letter to the Philippian church and trying to see where their marks were manifested. And we have come across these verses of the marks of unity. And last week was part one. This week will be part two. As I studied last week, three things caught me. One was a life worthy of the gospel. In 127, what what on what does that mean to live a life worthy of the gospel? And it's a it's a it's a verse that should stun every one of us into a place of astonishment to say, I need to know that. I need to know what that means for me to live this life manner of worthiness in the gospel of Christ. The second thing was, is that um, that I would not be frightened and that. I would stand firm within this gospel. And then the third thing finally was it had been granted to me and to you that we might suffer for the sake of Christ. Three very heavy elements of the scripture. One being, okay, what does it look like for me to live a life worthy? Two is how do I stand firm in that life of worthiness? And three was it's been granted to me to suffer. So how do I live that kind of life? How do those three truths become practical applications in my own life? And that's what we want to look at today. How do do these things begin to manifest out in everyday living? I thought about um, this February, Lee and I will have been married 39 years. Um, It doesn't seem like 39 years for me anyway. For Lee it may seem like... 39 centuries, but uh, for me, it's just like 39 minutes ago. Uh, but I remember when we uh, said our vows, part of that was is that we would become one. And, of course, that familiar scripture out of Ephesians, that a man will leave his mother and his father and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one. In other words, they'll be united. And in that union, something mysterious happened on that day February the 23rd, 1980. I didn't really recognize all of its depth and all of its meaning on that day. And it has taken me 38 and a half years to get to this point today where I realize something really did happen. Something mysterious happened in this life of this young girl from Atlantic Beach, Florida, and this poor boy from the river shores of the St. John's River that came together on that day under the Lord and His Spirit and committed their lives one to another. And this mysterious event of unity happened. And it's been manifesting itself now for three decades to this point where it's still a mystery to me but it's becoming more and more clear that my life is inextricably attached to the life of this woman. So much so, I cannot make a decision without wondering, how does it affect her? Think about it for a moment. Those of you who are in that type of relationship, you can't, you can't buy a house without considering your spouse. Can you just imagine what it would be like if I went out and I came home one afternoon, went out during the day and then came home for dinner that that night and said, hey, I bought a new house, honey. 
Just thought I'd share it with you. We're going to move in, by the way. Can you have this house packed up? We're going to move in uh, in 30 days. I tried once to buy a car without permission. That didn't go well for me. That was in the early days. And I learned something from that, that I probably shouldn't make a major purchase like an automobile without considering the one who I'm united to. Every decision, every part of our lives, everything that I do, I have to take into consideration this one who I'm united to. And isn't that true even more so for those of us who are united to Jesus. Look with me at this first verse in the second chapter. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love and participation of the Spirit. Another way it's translated, if there's any encouragement in being united to Christ. This word encouragement means refreshment. It means being part of Him. Paul, over and over through all of his letters, speaks of this spiritual mystery that has happened to every single follower of Jesus, that you and I are united to him. And the first point of our our scriptures this morning in this first verse are asking us this challenge of unity is this, manifesting the life of Christ that is within us. In everything that we do, we sang it. Everything we do, everything we say, we sing for you. Really, in everything we do and everything we say, we consider you. You see, that's the challenge of of unity, of being united to Christ and united to one another. How is it that I live in the context of the Christian community in union when we all have different thoughts? We all have different beliefs. We all have different ways of seeing the same subject. Is that I understand this first. I am united to Christ above and beyond all others. And therefore, everything I say, everything I do in the context of community must come under the authority of the one who makes every decision for me. Would I dare buy a house without speaking to my spouse? How much more important then is it that if I were to make a major purchase like a new home or a mortgage that I would speak to my Savior? If in the considerations of conversation in my own home that I have with Lee, in places where her and I may have disagreement on the way a certain subject should be handled, isn't it incumbent upon me and her to come first to the Savior on how to approach a subject So that we might in unity come together, even if we differ. That we would defer to the way that Jesus would see something. We would be obedient to the way that he calls us to behave. Than to lift ourselves up as two individuals. You see, that's the challenge of unity is that we manifest Christ in the life that he has poured into us, that we are fully unified in and primarily unified to before all others. I can tell you the truth. There's not another human being on the face of this earth that I love more than my wife. 
I love her beyond all other human beings. But I will also tell you the same truth. I love Jesus more than I love my wife. And because I love Jesus more than I love my wife, it gives me the ability to love my wife above all others. But because I love Jesus more than I love you, it gives me the ability to love you as well. Even in, the, even in the home, a husband and a wife can disagree, but come to the disagreement in the unity of Christ. In the same way, in your homes, you may disagree with your spouse. You may disagree with your roommate. You may disagree with your brother or your sister, but you can come to unity together in the name of Christ. If he is your first unity. Paul says this, if there is any refreshment, if there's any evidence of you being in Jesus, if there's any kind of fruit that comes out of the life that you have in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Holy Spirit, any affection and sympathy, Paul says, complete my joy with the same mind. In other words, when there is disunity, when there is disagreement, bring encouragement and refreshment to it. Bring the comfort from your own love affair with Jesus to the, to the situation. If you have been loved by Christ, take that same love you have received and apply it to others and to situations. Because you are unified in Him before all others. If you have known the affection of God, if you have realized that God spends 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year, from the moment that you received Him into eternity to never stop with one agenda and one agenda only to pour out His relentless love upon your life, then take that same love, that same affection, and pour it out on others. See, the trouble, the challenge comes in believing that that's really God's agenda for my life. Sounds crazy, doesn't it? That God would be consumed with loving me. That God would be busy loving me. I spend most of my time busy about loving myself. How could he be busy loving me? I once knew a man who was so angry when he spit on the grass it died. Until he realized God was not angry with him any longer, but God was busy about loving him. It's the simplest verse in all of the Bible, and we all memorized it as children, didn't we? 
John 3.16, for God so, an infinite so, an omnipresent so, an omniscient so, an eternal so, loved you and me and the world that he gave Jesus in death on a cross, that if we would just believe that, that love would manifest itself in our hearts so that we might manifest it to one another and have eternal life. And the challenge is to believe that. In the same way that God is consumed with loving me with eternal affection, relentlessly for the rest of eternity, we too must be consumed with loving one another with an eternal love, relentless and affectionate. It is the challenge of manifesting the life of Christ that is within us. Paul says, this comfort, this love, and the participation of the Spirit. Don't you see, when you and I decided, Jesus, I believe you love me. I receive your love on my behalf. It became obligatory to us to water the fruit to manifest it, to share it, to not let it come into a vessel and cap it up, but to pour it over and spill it out. We received it by grace and grace alone, and thereby we must spill it out by grace and grace alone. And it is what unifies every believer to every believer. It's when we realize that we have no ground at the cross to stand on that is our ground, but only the ground that the grace and the mercy of God has allowed us to place our feet upon, then we realize that's true for every single one of us. And it's not just a theory. It's just not a theological understanding. But it is a reality that each of us live with that we, none of us have the right to boast about anything. That's why Paul would say later, and we'll come to it, and he goes through his record, I am this, I am that, I was a Jew of all Jews tribe of Benjamin, as far as the law, I was a zealot. And he goes down his record of all his accomplishments. He talks about his academic record. He talks about his moral record. He talks about his, his earthly record. He talks about his passionate record. And he comes to the end of that record keeping and says, all of that is dung. All of that is nothingness. All of that is garbage compared to knowing 
Jesus relentlessly loves me and puts his righteousness upon me. Therefore, I manifest that righteousness to all in whom I come in contact with. Because Paul saw his life united inextricably and inseparately to Jesus, he saw the life he was to manifest on the earth inextricably the life of Jesus. Did he do it perfectly? Absolutely not. Did he do it by faith? Absolutely so. It is the challenge of the unity that we have with Jesus is to live in unity with one another. That place that says stand firm in the gospel is the place where I must believe the gospel. And that the gospel is as true for me as it is for you. Not only is there the challenge of unity, the manifesting of life of Christ within us, but there's the evidence of unity, the the traits of Jesus expressed from you. And two, three, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Wonder what that would look like if that were our reality. I don't know if any of us could get through the door if we were all busy holding the door for one another. You first. No, no, you first. No, you first. No, no, you first. No, I insist. No, I insist too. My insist outdoes your insist. Okay, let's walk through together. What kind of world would it be if we had such a concern for one another that in the argument of trying to outdo good to one another, we decided let's do good for each other together? But you see, that's what Jesus did, is it not? When Jesus washed the feet of his disciples, these are the places it's hard for me to get through. When Jesus, the Lord of the universe, took off his clothing, And knelt before a man and lifted that man's dirty foot up and took on the task of cleaning dirt out from between the toes and the dried dung and the spittle and everything else that foot had gone through that day. When the Lord of the universe did that, was he not humble? Was he not kind and compassionate? 
Did he boast in his position? Did he speak condescendingly? He just washed like a servant and considered the foot that he cleansed more important than his throne. Think about that. Jesus, Lord of all lords, the King of every king, the great I am, the most beautiful of all beauty, knelt before you, took up your dirty pod, placed it in his scarred hand, and never once spoke down to you, but spoke words of encouragement while he washed you clean. Do nothing from selfish ambition. What could have been more selfless from the Son of God than to die on a cross naked? What could have been more selfless from the Son of God not to shirk back And concave his back when the lashes hit. But to bow it out. To convex his back. To receive the lashes on your behalf. And on mine. And then to say, Father, forgive them. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility count others. more significant than yourself. You see, that's the evidence of unity. That that is the attitude of our hearts. The same attitude that Jesus has. Next week we'll come to that very verse, let your attitude be the same as Jesus. If you don't think we will, look at five. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ. And I've put to let your attitude be the same as Jesus. It is the evidence that we belong to him. It's the evidence that we have unity with him. That if it was not more important for my Savior, then it should not be more important to me. Not only is it the evidence of our unity and the challenge of our unity is to manifest the life of Christ. The traits of Christ expressed from me. But look at the ability of unity. Believe in what Jesus has done to you. Might be better to say believe what Jesus has done in you. 
Paul finishes these section of verses by saying, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves. Paul would later in Colossians say this, that you have the mind of Christ. That for every believer, a transformation has happened within us. That we must appropriate, that we must believe. That we have been transformed from people who think mainly of themselves to people who think mainly of the Savior. That the interests of the Savior are more important to us than our own self-interest. That the things of Jesus take a secondary stand to relationship with Jesus. That it's no longer good enough to appear to be pious. It's no longer good enough to just do religious work. It's no longer wonderful to be a good religious club. But it has been granted to us the privilege of suffering along with Christ for doing the work of the gospel. To have lives that are uniquely qualified to do the work of God. To have lives that are uniquely qualified to give the love of God to the world. To have lives that are uniquely pressed upon to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe you're a homemaker, maybe you're a doctor, maybe you're an engineer, maybe you're a preacher, maybe you're a missionary, maybe you're retired, maybe you're a computer programmer. There's no more important job that you have in which you and I are qualified for than ambassador of Jesus Christ to the world. There's no president, there's no ambassador, there's no diplomat that has a more important calling than you and I have to be ambassadors for Christ to the world. There's no higher place of position to esteem to in the throne of heaven than to be a servant to all on the ground of earth. You and I have been given that ability. We've been equipped with the Spirit to bear the fruit of love and joy and peace and kindness and gentleness and self-control and long-suffering. Because that is not what we've done for ourselves, but it is the qualities, it is the fruit of which Jesus has placed within us by being united to Him. The fruit that you and I manifest to the world is the fruit of the Spirit that has been given to us to be manifested. And that manifestation only comes from the ability of knowing that you are united to Jesus. You must believe the promises of Christ that these are true about you and I. How do we do that? What are the next steps? 
It's on the back of your sermon notes. Step one. Determine. Determine. Use your mind. Use your strength. Use your time. Your decision making. Be determined to know that you know Christ. That you belong to Him. That you know what He has done to you and you will manifest what He has done within you. Not selectively, but in humility to all. Determined to know nothing but the gospel. You remember what Paul said, right? That he was determined to know nothing but Jesus. Not his own wisdom, not his own way of doing things, but to know Christ and Christ crucified. You and I too must determine to know that and that only. The power of a God who has died for us so that he might live within us. Secondly, you and I must decrease. It will not come natural to us to be determined in such a way. The only way it can happen is that we must decrease. We must have more of Christ and less of ourselves. We must spend our days in repentance. Start our day with Jesus. Let the world see more of you than me. Jesus, let the context of my life and the situations I find myself in see more of you than me. Lord, let me along with John the Baptist say, It is time for him to increase and me to decrease. And then lastly, delight. Delight in what God has done for you. This is no burden at all, what he's done. Oh, yeah, we suffer. If we're going to live this kind of life, yes, we will suffer. We'll suffer within the context of our own community. Because we're all different. We're all in different places in our walk. Some of our brothers and sisters won't understand this kind of grace or this kind of delight. This kind of joy. And it'll come with criticism. But I tell you the truth. In your heart of hearts, you'll never know more delight and more joy when you know the freedom that God relentlessly loves you. Your life will be transformed. When you dwell upon and you meditate that God spends 24-7, seven days a week, from now until the rest of eternity, doing nothing except one agenda to let me know He relentlessly loves me. That should bring the greatest delight to each and every one of us. Everything from that point on takes on a new meaning. You remember the old saying, don't sweat the small stuff. And oh yeah, by the way, it's all small stuff. 
The reason that can be true in your life and in mine is because the very largest of things have happened. Because of the Son of God, you are relentlessly loved by God the Father. Now and forevermore, inextricably unified to Him so that we may manifest that unity to the world. Even when we differ. Amen. Let's pray.